But what I talk about is a, it's called an RPM method. And so really at, at first, I want you to focus on well, what's the result that we're looking for, right? So what's the outcome? I think a lot of people think about, well, you know, I want to make a certain amount of money. Well, yes, that's great. But what's the outcome that you want to achieve with that money? Welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Today, our guest is Tyler Chesser. What we're going to talk about today are the five things that prevent most real estate investors from scaling their portfolio or from getting started in the first place and, and prevent people from becoming the real estate investors that they could be. And this is a great conversation. If you are in a position where you feel that you need to scale your real estate portfolio, but there's something blocking you, you're missing something, you feel you don't have the level of success that you desire, then this is the conversation and the interview to listen to. If you're not started as a real estate investor yet, but you want to get started, this is number one. I didn't grow. I didn't really start growing my real estate portfolio until I learned these lessons. I hope you enjoy it. You're going to get a lot out of it. And without further ado, here's Tyler. Tyler, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Taylor. It's great to be with you. I'm really happy to talk to you. You have a, a very interesting background here as I'm reading through your bio, impressive background. Can you tell the listeners a bit about where you're coming from and what you do in your business and for your clients? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, again, thanks for having me. Um, you know, my background is um, really I came from the corporate environment after I you know, graduated college. That's I started in that path. And um, I learned very quickly that it wasn't the path that I really wanted to be on just from a painful just kind of life. I felt like that it was set up for me. And so long story short, I, I had to kind of get out of that in different ways. And and I found that real estate was a good fit for me just because, um, you know, my skills overlapped as a salesperson. I was somebody who, you know, had a strong uh, ability to influence other people and connect with other people, build relationships, and as well as just kind of navigate that environment. So I got into real estate as a salesperson originally. And, um, you know, I learned my way about the business through that path. And as I was going through that, I was really sort of learning that it was a very different environment from, you know, being a W-2 employee because I became a, a 1099 independent contractor and nothing was promised. So I had to really develop myself from a, you know, very uh, deep capacity to be able to handle that type of an environment and to be able to thrive in that type of environment. So I became very passionate about reading, about, you know, developing my own skills, my own understanding. And so I was always, you know, looking for, you know, what's next and what else do I need to learn and how can I stack things on top of each other? And so you know, throughout this entire process, you know, I read so many books, I hired coaches and, and um, you know, I, I became, um, you know, interested in real estate investing because I learned from Robert Kiyosaki that, you know, the, the rich, you know, build assets and they, you know, they develop their, their balance sheet to a point where, you know, it pays them instead of having to trade their time at all times for more money. And so I learned these things along the way that, you know, helped me develop uh, what my business is today. It's a little bit more unique. It's, and in my opinion, a little bit more dynamic than kind of your average uh, real estate company. And what we do is, you know, we do real estate brokerage and we work with investors all over the country as well as internationally acquire and dispose of commercial real estate assets. Uh, and for the most part, we do a lot of multifamily, probably 70 to 75 percent of our business is multifamily. Uh, and then also we do retail office uh, development land and some industrial. Um, and beyond that, we also are real estate investors as well. And we invest exclusively in multifamily because we believe in it. 
Uh, we also believe in sort of the long-term quality of you know providing quality housing for people. Uh, we feel good about that, and we love you know we love the figures on the back end in terms of what we get as a return on investment, and we love you know the strategy of how we're incentivized by the government to do that through taxes and 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 everything else. And so we also are coaches, and I coach real estate investors all over the country as well. And you know the reason why I do that is because for me to be successful in those first two pockets. I've had to be able to develop my own skills. I've had to be able to elevate myself as well as others. And so that leads me into the final thing that I've started been giving back through is uh, through a podcast that has yet to been uh, launched yet, but it's uh, it's called Elevate. And I want to give a shout out to Elevate Nation because they're on the horizons right now waiting, waiting for this. And so. So that's a that's a long-winded answer to your question. Well, you're, you've got quite a few things going on and irons in the fire, but they're all heading in the same direction and, and you're working towards a, a common goal with what you're doing. So, you know, I, I, I give you uh, absolutely uh, give you credit for that. And you're based in, I don't, I don't think you said you're based in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. That's right. That's correct. Yes. Cool. So, I mean, we, we talked before the show a bit about some of the ideas that you have around the ways that in the reasons that investors fail to scale, real estate investors fail to scale in their real estate business. And, and I think it's, you just have very interesting ideas around that. And, yeah, you know, let's get into that. What can we learn from you about that? Absolutely. So I think um, at this point, all of your listeners should really be grabbing a pen because when this was shared with me and I learned this throughout years of kind of going through some tough times, you know, it really caused me to realize, wow, this is actually it. And so there's five key reasons as to real estate investors fail to scale. So the first of that is limiting beliefs. So I'll just dive into each one of these one on one and we'll kind of talk through a little bit what what that means. But limiting beliefs, I mean, look, as a coach or as an advisor or you know someone who cares about other people, you know, I can give you the keys to the kingdom as an example. I can give you every single tool, uh, you know, every single strategy, every single blueprint for building, you know, a real estate portfolio that's blue, you know, bulletproof and it's firing in all cylinders. But if you've got things that are holding you back in terms of your identity and and what you believe about yourself um, or what you believe about, you know, external forces as well. You know, you're not going to be able to scale. I mean, it's it's just as simple as that. And and we all have limiting beliefs. And you know, we call it belief systems, but it's really the acronym is BS, right? Because it's you know, <laughs> it may or may not be true, but we believe we we cause ourselves to believe that that is the fact. And so we all have blind spots. And 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 as a coach, I help people identify what those are and really kind of rip those weeds out. You know, because your mind is the most fertile soil on the planet. And if you allow nothing to grow, then weeds are going to grow. And if you're not protecting that mind, if you're not protecting the gates of your mind, you know, then that's going to happen. And so we we plant the right seeds. So you have the right empowering beliefs. So that's number one. So number two is a lack of a strategic plan. So, you know, most people and this is kind of fascinating um, and it's actually a fact. Most people plan spend more time planning their vacation than they do, you know, planning their portfolio, their real estate portfolio, or really their business in general, you know, their, their business plan, their marketing strategy, their budget, you know, you think about it on and on and on, but it's a strategic plan. And really, you know, what we talk about is a seven step goal setting and achievement system. And that's one of the things that we talk about in terms of our strategic plan. And, and um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a phenomenal method that we work with our clients on. From there, 
you know, go you go to number three, which is the lack of systems for support. And so, you know, at the end of the day, you can grow to a point where you've acquired and, and you've done all the business development that's required to get to a certain point, but you don't have systems supporting you along the way, whether it's tools, personnel, you know, technology or otherwise, you're not, you're just going to, it's not going to work. And so you've got to build in a lot of small systems along the way and some large systems. And so it's a continual process as you continue to go. And, and I think, you know, for me, it's always been helpful to have someone kind of helping me through this process, not only reading books, not only going to seminars and meeting other people that are, you know, sort of peers and developing masterminds, but also having people that can kind of work with you one-to-one on, well, what systems do we need to support our outcomes? And I think at the end of the day, you've always got to be focused on your outcomes. Um, so I think that's very important. So number four is time management. So if you think about this, this is so important because, you know, how you spend your time is really what your results are going to be. And if you think about it, you've got 168 hours in every week. You know, we have 168 hours. Jeff Bezos has 168 hours. Oprah Winfrey has 168 hours. And the bum on the corner has 168 hours. So it's all about the quality of how you're spending your time. Are you spending your time in high lifetime value zone? Are you spending your time in really a zone that's really not going to bring you anywhere? So you've always got to be course correcting and identifying how are you spending your time. That's extremely, extremely important. And the fifth and final sort of reason why real estate investors fail to scale is due to their lack of accountability. I can say that, you know, I've always been a high, high achiever and I feel that that is the truth. Um, but I also know that I do give myself a pass at times based on, you know what, I've, I've, I've done all these other things and it's okay that I didn't do that again this week or today, you know, because I'm giving myself a pass. But if you have someone else who's holding your feet to the fire, you know, you're going to be more encouraged to continue to not only be accountable, but hold yourself accountable. So, those are the five things that real estate investors typically do or don't do that cause them to fail to scale. Hmm. I like that list. And for those that did not grab a pen quite in time, but you've got a pen now, I wrote them down. Number one is limiting beliefs. Number two, a lack of a strategic plan. Number three, lack of systems for support. Four, lack of time management. Five, a lack of accountability. And those are all. Perfect, in my opinion, the many of those and improving in many of those has helped me scale my portfolio. And then I still have I still have plenty of room to improve. I mean, it's this is a constant process of improvement. And I, I think the one that interests me the most at this point, or I'd like to dive into at this point is number three, a lack of systems for support. That's that's the one where. I mean, I think people can struggle with any any one of them, but setting up systems, in my opinion, is is one of those things that, along with your time management, having a good system, whatever your system is, can turn your 168 hours a week into what's that, 336. You know, you get somebody else's week, and then you get more people's weeks and and improve from there. So let's talk about setting up some of those systems because that's a really interesting one. Yeah, I think one thing, so if you think about any any task that you have or any project that you're working on, if you look at it, it's always a next action, right? What's the next most logical step here, right? And so if you're looking at tasks, if you're processing your project work as an example, 
you know, you're always going to look at something and say, all right, here's an item. I've got, let's just call it a an inbound request. Call it an email, right? What do I do with this email? Is it an action item towards, you know, the next step of my project? Or is it, you know, something that can be delegated? And, and the thought process needs to be, this is a system as far as I'm concerned. Do, delegate, dump, or delay, okay? So do, delay, dump, or delegate, right? So these are your four options that you can go through and say, okay, well, with this email, do I have anyone on my team or someone that I can contract out some work to, towards that I can give this project to? You know, is it more valuable for them to be spending time on it rather than myself? And, you know, there are certain things that come up to say, all right, well, it comes in this do, you know, category, right? I can get this done in a couple of minutes. Let's just go ahead and knock it out, right? And so obviously within all of this as well, I think it's important to note that you've got to develop checklists. You've got to develop process flows for each different task. There are things that happen in your business that continually happen. You've got to be able to identify that. I think that's the first step for setting up systems is to identify what tasks or what projects in my business are reoccurring and start to develop checklists on that and start to, you know, if you've got a team team set up, then you've got to be able to bring them in and say, all right, well, when this happens, you know, you need to pull in and this is the task that you need to complete. And so I think that's important from a, you know, a non-technological standpoint, but there's also tools that you've got to be able to identify as well. Like in my business, you know, we've got a project management software as well as a customer uh, relationship management software that's really all in one that allows my entire team to communicate on various projects. And we can say, hey, look, we're dumping, you know, this. We're not doing this because it's not getting us to our outcome. I think it's always important to realize that we're not just building systems just to build a system. We're building a system to get to an outcome. So I think that's the other thing too is, okay, we've got to ask ourselves why along this process. While you're building systems, does this make sense? Continually course correct. Um, so I think that's really important. But, you know, the other thing is delay. Um, we talked about delay. You know, what I mean by that is, look, you don't have to be always doing your tasks right in the moment. You can schedule that for later, or you can schedule that for a team member later. Maybe this is a discussion that you need to have. But I think one of the keys is always recognizing that there's always a next step and developing your checklist and your processes and your workflows based on what's happening continuously and taking your mind out of it because your mind cannot work to its greatest capacity if you're always wondering, well, wait a minute, what, what is the next step on this? And so I think that along with a clear communication with other people that are supporting you in this is so, so important. I think the one that people probably struggle with the most if you're, especially if you're coming from a working your know, W2 type of background where you're used to being an employee and less used to being an entrepreneur, the one from my perspective, and correct me if I'm wrong, that I'm betting a lot of people struggle the most with to do effectively is delegate. Yep. Absolutely. I know I did. And honestly, like one of the one of the greatest experiences of my life growing up in school was I, I became the president of my fraternity. And it was great because I learned how to delegate and I learned how to bring in other people. And people were so motivated because they wanted to have recognition within the organization and stuff. But I will tell you that it is so much different as a business owner now, because what you're talking about now is, you know, supporting people to be able to provide for their families and to be able to provide for, you know, their own needs. Right. And and beyond that and their own dreams. And so um, it's become, you know, a lot different because you've got to have it's a it's a totally different 
you know, type of an environment to where, where money is, is involved. And so I think it's key to always be thinking of, you know, the other perspective when you are delegating, you know, is this something that is helping them grow or is this supporting their, you know, their basic human needs, whether it's certainty, uncertainty, you know, love and connection, growth, or, you know, contribution, you know, are they getting to a point where they're feeling fulfilled? I think it's always important when you're, de you're, you're delegating, you're not just doing it because you need to get this off your plate, but you're also supporting them. You know, what, what may not be a high value task for you to complete may be a high value task for someone else to complete because they're not only earning money from it, but they're also growing, they're also learning, and they're getting an opportunity to be a part of your team. So I think it's really important to have that perspective always as you are delegating. Hmm, I like that. So I wanna step back to the list of five and let's talk about limiting beliefs because that's a, it's number one for a reason, right? As I'm figuring yeah. it's number one for a reason. Everybody struggles with it, I think. How can people start to first diagnose their limiting beliefs, figure out that they have them, and then work to, say, overcome those limiting beliefs? I think one of the first things you've got to do is recognize that it's universal, first of all, because, you know, we all, I think we all get in our own heads on, oh my gosh, you know, I can't do this because X, Y, and Z, or you may not even realize that that voice is happening in your mind. You've got to be able to start to recognize it at first. And then once you do, you have to realize, hey, look, I'm not alone. I'm not, you know, just a person who just beats myself up over and over. This is just human nature. And, you know, we, we have evolved to a point where this these sort of thought processes were so important for us to survive as we evolved as a species. And so I think it's so important to realize that and then start to isolate. OK, well, what what is this narrative that's going on? You know, am I is it is it as deep as, hey, you know what? I'm not worthy of success or I'm not worthy of you know this accomplishment. And so I continually sabotage myself as right before I'm going to accomplish something. So if you can really kind of sit with that and start to really identify that over a period of time, then you can start to replace that. You've got to replace it. You cannot pull something out without replacing it with a new thought. So you've got to really kind of hone your identity. You've got it's a continual process where you've really got to change how you see yourself and how you speak to yourself. You've got to also look at, look, you know, the person who you're speaking to is so important to really cultivate, you know, because we really we we treat other people better than we treat ourselves a lot of time. And so I think it's important to realize that if you're really someone who is an empathetic person, you've got to realize that if you treat yourself right, you're also, you're gonna show up in the world in a better place to be able to treat others right. And I think it's so important to realize that. So, you know, I think one of the key distinctions here is whenever you are identifying, isolating a limiting belief about yourself, whatever that may be, you've got to say, all right, I understand why this is here. I'm not going to accept this belief anymore, and I'm going to plant a new, more empowering belief. You know, I am worthy of this because I'm committed to doing the right thing for humanity, or, you know, I have a higher purpose that's more than just profit. And so because of that, I'm willing to allow myself to do what's necessary and take the steps that's necessary and accomplish what is necessary to get to that purpose. Yeah, you, you mentioned something that, um in that you said I'm committed and I think that's something that 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 level of commitment is something that that might not be talked about enough uh more uh, uh, talked about broadly enough you know by folks in this industry and in any industries is 
the importance of commitment to your success and knowing what actually being committed means on a daily and weekly basis as to more essentially the level of action, the, the massiveness of the action that you're willing to take. So can you talk on that a little bit and, and how sure. important commitment is in pursuing these goals? I love this. This is a great question. And I think that there, I don't think this, I know this is true. There's two types of people in the world. There's two types of people that I see in my business. They're, they're either interested or they're committed. And there's a lot of people who maybe are consumers of this type of information or this type of thought process and really consider it for many, many years. And they're, they're interested, you know, at some point, you know, I'm really going to adopt that fully and I'm really going to go after that. Or there's committed that say, look, I'm drawing a line in the sand and I'm not accepting anything other than my outcome that I'm focused towards. And you have to realize that when you have a setback, when you have a failure, when you get knocked down, this is a test towards your defiant commitment. You know, because you have got to realize that it just doesn't happen. You know, not everyone gets to where they want to go because they don't answer those tests. They don't react to those tests the way that a committed person does. You have to realize also that failure is inevitable. Failure is also a feedback mechanism that gives you the ability of course correcting and you know offering your talents in a more concise and more appropriate manner you know, towards what you're looking to do. So it's not a bad thing to fail. It's in fact, it's a great thing. If the only way that you're not going to fail is if you don't take any action. So to me, someone who's committed is someone who looks at failure as inevitable and as a good thing and as a feedback mechanism and someone who's saying, you know what, no matter what, I'm going to continue to move forward. I'm going to continue to pick myself up. Um, but people who are just interested are not in that boat. Yeah, I mean, I see that as I talk to particularly new investors or people who who aren't quite technically new investors because they haven't invested in anything, but they're interested in passively earning a return on something. Usually it's real estate, but they're not committed to putting in the work and taking the daily action that that's needed to go find a deal, to go meet investors, to build relationships with brokers, to to do all of the things that are yeah. required, that, that, that there's daily actions to make it happen. So if someone say, say, how do we know, the person out there listening, how do they know if they're interested or if they're committed? Well, it's all about action. It's not about just consuming information because knowledge, a lot of people say knowledge is power. Knowledge is potential power. Knowledge plus action is power. So if you're willing to take action, it, it shows that you're willing to accept failure and you're willing to continue past failure. It's all about action. I mean, I think a lot of people become interested in real estate because it sounds great. But as you mentioned, there is a lot of work. There's a lot of setbacks that you will face. I know as I, I got started in real estate investing, I made some huge mistakes. I mean, major, very like People talk about tuition. I mean, I paid real estate tuition as I got started <laughs> in investing. And if you're not willing to accept some heartache and, and be willing to be knocked down, then you're gonna always be interested and you're never going to get to that outcome. I mean, one of the most impactful things I've ever done in my entire life was I went to Unleash the Power Within with Tony Robbins and it sounds corny. People who haven't been there may think it sounds corny, but we walked on fire barefoot and I can tell you that my mind did not want me to walk across that fire. I mean, 2,000 degree hot coals. I'm like, this is insane. What are we doing? 
as I got myself into a peak state and I said, you know what? I'm focusing on the outcome. I'm going to go. I'm going to do this. this be the most amazing thing I've ever done. And it truly was. I walked across fire. I could not feel the heat on my feet. And now I know that anything that is in front of me will not stop me. My mind will not tell me I can't do it. And so I think, um, you know, people have got to realize that it's not going to be easy, but the outcome is more beautiful than it would have been if you didn't take that risk. Yeah, I think it's more painful to, you know, even in my own experience, it's more painful to look back and say how many years have gone by. And I'm I'm still fairly young, so not that many, but still the, the years that went by where I was only interested and I didn't, I didn't know how committed I needed to be in those years. I was just interested that I wasn't effect, effectively wasn't making any progress. Yeah. I was learning book knowledge, but you, mm-hmm. you really only learn the big lessons by getting out there and taking action and falling on your face and making mistakes, honestly. Yeah. And the other thing too, is it's awesome to really like you're seeking the outcome, right? I think a lot of us are driven by, you know, either financial results or, somewhere in that realm, or perhaps it's recognition, or perhaps it's something else, maybe that's kind of worldly, perhaps, so to say. But as you go through this process, one of the things that I've realized just by happenstance is that who you become as a person is almost more satisfying. And that's, I mean, it's it's way more satisfying, I can tell you that. And just going and facing the struggles and facing the trials and tribulations and overcoming them, it's like one of the most amazing things ever. And and I've heard a quote recently and, and I've, you know, many times, but it's like, you know, easy choices, hard life, hard choices, easy life. And so if you're willing to commit to that, you can really, I mean, things get so much easier when you start to compound, you know, tough decisions and tough actions and putting yourself in discomfort continually it's going to get you to that outcome. It's going to get you to become that true person to where you really don't have to worry about your identity because you've formed it you know, through hard work, through persistence, and through always getting up when you get knocked down. Yeah. That's something I've noticed, and, and you mentioned in your in your list of five, something I've noticed about the most successful investors that I know is that they do, they do all of these five for sure. And yet another very important one is their strategic strategic plan. And they have what mm-hmm. some might call smart goals. I mean, there's, there are a lot of theories about proper goal setting for investors and entrepreneurs, what do you think we should be doing to set our goals? Yeah, I love SMART goals because you've got to be specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely for sure. Because if your brain doesn't work on generalities, it works on specifics. So when you're setting goals, you've got to do that. And and also, let me just back up and just say from a high level, goals are so important. If you do not have them written in front of you, you know, it's you're missing out on a big opportunity. You need to write them. You need to put them in front of you everywhere you go and continue to feed your subconscious mind about this. So that's just one thing. But in terms of a settings, goal setting, goal setting system, an achievement system, what, what I talk about is a it's called an RPM method. And so really, at, at first, I want you to focus on well, what's the result that we're looking for. Right. What's the outcome? I think a lot of people think about, well, you know, I want to make a certain amount of money. Well, yes, that's great, but what's the outcome that you want to achieve with that money, right? I think so if you can show yourself that you're working towards this outcome, you can continue to remind yourself when you get knocked down, when things get hard, when your defiant commitment is tested, 
and you remember, wait a minute, because of this result, then you're going to be more likely to get up. Then you're going to be more likely to put yourself in more uncomfortable situations because your result is higher than, you know, the discomfort of that situation or, you know, the challenge that you're facing. And so I think it's extremely important to start with the result. Um, you know, from there, it's all about purpose and it's all about planning. And so you're kind of developing, okay, well, I've got my why now. So what's, what exactly is the steps towards achieving that why? You know, what is it that I need to accomplish in a practical manner, whether it's a, accomplishing, you know, sort of revenue goal or, you know, it's an acquisition type of goal or a disposition type of goal. So you're getting more specific there. And then I want you to talk about, well, you know, what's my, what's my method? And then what's my massive action plan? Okay, so developing your house. Okay, well, what resources do I also need to accomplish this goal as well? And then also, what what is my massive action plan? I mean, let's get it scheduled. Let's put it on the calendar and say, all right, well, if I've got a goal for my outcome to be, you know, X, Y, and Z within six months, I need to go ahead and start setting myself a chunk down of my, you know, my calendar okay, by this date, I need to have accomplished this piece of my goal, because if I'm not, you know, you've got to hold yourself accountable. Um, but if I'm not, then what do I need to do to course correct? So it's kind of a comprehensive thing here, but, you know, all of these pieces are very important. Yeah, I mean, this is all, like you like you said, it's all very important. And it, it's a, a matter of, and tell, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a matter of, figuring out what your outcome is and then reverse engineering, working backward, turning that to use your example, that six month goal into, okay, what's my three month, my milestone at three months. What's my milestone at the end of this month. What's my milestone this week and yep. really drilling it down so that you keep the level of action well, commensurate with it, that. That's exactly right. And I think a lot of times people will set, big goals either for their life or for, you know, the next year, the next 10 years. And sometimes they're so big that your brain doesn't know, well, what's my action right now? And so you have to chunk it down into, you know, even three months, you know, one month, one week, one day, one hour, one minute. So like, what am I doing now that's serving my higher purpose? And I know that when I'm not acting in alignment with my bigger vision, I don't feel good about myself. And that's, Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just a heightened version of this, but I feel like for the most part, human beings are in that boat. So if you have a clear direction on where you want to be big picture, if you can chunk that down into specific actions on a daily basis, and then also beyond that sort of develop habits towards supporting those, because, you know, if you're always trying to fight willpower, it's going to be a, a tough climb. But if you can implant habits in yourself um, to be able to support these outcomes, that's really where you're going to start to see some massive success. These, these things all come down. It all comes back to having that defiant commitment and not having those limiting beliefs of, you know, maybe that I can't do it or I'm not worthy or, you know, it's going to take me longer than I think it will. And you have to be laser focused on achieving it so that you take the, the right level of action every day. Yeah, and I think the other thing too, it's just so important to to when something happens to you that maybe feels like a setback, it's a great kind of mind shift to look at it and say, well, what, you know, how interesting, isn't that interesting that this happened to me? You know, what what can I be learning from this? And what, you know, why is this part of my commitment being tested right now? So get curious about it. I think that's important. 
and to reframe it because a lot of times we feel like, well, woe is me, I'm the victim. And you know what, I, I didn't accomplish this because of you know these different external factors. And I think it's important to be able to reframe and, and communicate to yourself and plant a new empowering belief instead of a limiting belief as we talked about, which really is kind of the core of everything that we're talking about. Hmm. So when we're reprogramming our minds on those limiting beliefs, we're, we're now getting to empowering beliefs. You said we need to have those goals in front of us at all times. I don't know, write them, write them on every wall in your house or something like that. Write them on the, uh, on the mirror in your bathroom uh, where you brush your teeth every day or whatever. I don't know. What are other ways we can get around or, or, or not get around, but uh, reprogram our limiting beliefs? What are the well, actionable methods? Sure. I mean, one of the hot topics in society today is meditation and mindfulness. But I think the key is to not look at it as it's an in vogue sort of a thing, but it's a practice. I mean, you've got to be able to identify what is your inner voice saying and what does that mean? And just be aware of it, you know, sit with that and be consistent with it, because the more you do it, the more it compounds on itself and the more you can use that, you know, when you're not meditating or when you're not, you know, being mindful, so to speak. Um, so I think that's the first thing is to really kind of identify who you are as a person and sort of be with that, you know, just observe that and feel, you know, what emotions arise as you feel certain things. And, and, you know, what they say is that emotions, all emotions lead to certain, you know, feelings, which then leads to certain actions, which then leads to certain results, right? Which relates to our, the, the, our life. And so I think if you can take control of that and you can say, well, wait a minute, this thought led to that feeling, which then maybe that thought wasn't the right thought, and maybe that thought was a limiting belief, and I've identified that. So then actually this emotion is not relevant right now, so then that action would not be relevant right now as well. So it's a process where you know it takes time to get there. Honestly, it takes a long time to get there. It's You're, you're not gonna meditate one time and be at this point where, okay, I can identify this thought that then just led to this, this action that, you know, is is causing a, a a challenge in my life but if you can commit to learning more about yourself and observing more about how your mind works and how your emotions work you can get to a point where this can be extremely powerful mm. yeah if that if it if it only took one time if it only took one day then everybody would be a billionaire and there would be no mental illness but it takes daily action to reprogram those thoughts in your mind that are not benefiting you i mean here's the thing it is all about what are you doing now one of the things that i heard recently is that um if you can focus on what am i doing now that's how you win if you think about win it's what am i doing now so it is all about consistency it's all about what have you done to win today you know are there five critical tasks that you've been able to you know, checked off of your list that you've been able to accomplish today, you know, whether it's, you know, making that tough call or whether it's sitting 10 minutes with your breath and watching your breath and, and observing your thoughts or, you know, whatever, you know, there's so many things that we realize and we think of as a very big picture. But if you start to think of, well, how can I do this on a consistent basis, whether it's meditation or anything, that's truly how you start to build transformation. Yeah. Takes a lot of work, a lot of a lot of commitment, but uh, it's absolutely worth the time. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Tyler, 
So I've got three questions that I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. All right. First one, what is the best investment in real estate that you ever made? Uh, earlier this year, I bought a 36-unit apartment building that was but of a value add, perhaps a little bit more distress, but we um, we did a phenomenal job on negotiating the deal, and we actually got the seller to contribute the entire um, renovation, and we just completed the renovation, and it is going phenomenally. So, yeah, that's that's definitely my best investment in real estate for sure. Nice. The value add on multifamily, the, the upside to value add is... In terms of NOI growth is huge, and I'm sure you had quite a bit of rent growth with those improvements. Yeah, we had like 30%. It's pretty phenomenal. 30% rent growth in a matter of four months. And so obviously, you know, we're long term in this and it's not a, you know, we're not necessarily looking to flip this deal or anything like that, but we're very happy with the results so far. That's awesome. That's awesome. On the other side of that, what is the worst investment you ever made? Worst investment I've ever made in real estate was my first real estate deal. It was a smaller multifamily deal. And I was so anxious and eager to get into the business that I overlooked so many things in due diligence. And I just basically did anything I could to uh, to get the deal done. Honestly, I was a seller's dream and it, it bit me hard <laughs> in rehab budget. And I learned a ton of lessons, that is for sure. Yeah. So what what's the biggest lesson out of that that... Uh we can take away from you on that deal? One of the units, this is pretty interesting. One of the units was occupied at the time that I was under contract and it was kind of a dump. I mean, it was in bad shape, but I learned <laughs> through the, you know, through the time that um, the tenants were really bad in there. We needed to get rid of them. And as we were getting closer to my, you know, the end of my contractual period, the seller said, hey, look, I'll go ahead and evict them because they haven't been paying rent. So are you OK with that? And I said, yeah, you know, just get it done before closing. And and I pretty much waived everything else out of that. But when they got evicted, I mean, the unit was absolutely trashed. I mean, it had to be fully gutted. And so I didn't I, I was not as diligent on that as I should have been. I mean, honestly, looking back, like there's no way. I mean, I had to build out the entire unit, essentially. So. The fact that he got him out was good, but that was certainly on the low end of the scale of what the cost to turn that unit was. So it was, it wasn't smart at all. <laughs> so uh, looking back, would you uh, have put some kind of contingency in that that the unit needs to be delivered in a, a condition comparable to the other units, or he needs to do repairs, or would you go back for a credit, or what would your action have been? There, especially, well, I'll, I'll add a, a caveat to that: being a broker yourself and a buyer. As a buyer, how do you do that and also not upset the broker? If that makes sense, to maintain mm -hmm. a broker relationship. Well, I think it's all about. It, it has to be about logic. And if you think about it, the reason why, if you're acquiring any investment property, you're acquiring it based on the income and expense. You're basically you're buying it based on the NOI, as we just talked about. And um, you know, in this instance. You know, if this tenant is no longer there, it's no longer performing, the asset is not the same that it was when you made the decision to acquire it. And so, you know, there is some logic behind, well, you know what, I can possibly live with this unit being vacant, but you need to get me to a point where I'm going to ramp up 
very quickly. You know, that's sort of a give and take in a negotiation. I'm just really kind of thinking out loud with you here. But I probably would have said, look, if you if you evict them, I'm fine with that. But I need the unit to be rent ready or at least I need to be credited to a point where I can make it rent ready fairly quickly and, and reasonably. Um, that would be my opinion. And it's based on the fact that the asset is valued on the revenue that it produces and the net income that it produces. Yeah, so that's a big that's a big hit that unit being delivered vacant and also significantly damaged. That is a, a big hit to the the quality and the value of the property. So I, I get what you mean when you said you were a a seller's dream because he got to wash his hands of that situation and hand it off. So you live yeah, and you big, learn, though, right? Hopefully, and yeah, it sounds like you definitely learned from that. So uh, yeah, so there you go. That's that's all you can do. My favorite question out of these three, what is the most important lesson you learned in investing? Most important lesson I learned in investing, I think honestly it is about controlling your emotions because, um, you know, it can be extremely emotional. I mean, you feel like, you know, when something goes wrong and you made a wrong decision or, you know, something is not working out the way you expected it to, you start to get really like your adrenaline starts to come out and you start to feel like, you know, maybe maybe we felt as humans thousands of years ago when we were being chased by a predator. And you start to realize that, wait a minute, like I can actually just be a little bit more mindful and get myself out of this rut rather than, you know, a self-perpetuating downward spiral. So I think that's one of the biggest things that I've learned is that controlling my mind, controlling my emotions and my my spirit truly has been one of the most valuable lessons that I've learned through investing because, you know, it's more it's more challenging than most people realize when they're not, you know, when they're just absorbing a podcast or they're reading a book about it. I mean, it it's a process that you've got to transform yourself. So that's been extremely valuable for me. Hmm. I like that. So Tyler, thanks for everything today. Where can folks get in touch with you? Where can they learn more about what you're doing? I don't know if you have any uh, materials out there available that they can learn from as well. You know, lay it on us. Absolutely. So um, you can reach me. So my website is tylerchester.com, T-Y-L-E-R-C-H-E-S-S-E-R.com. And then also, um, if people want to inquire more about a direct coaching with me, I do um, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching with real estate investors. It's a tailor-made service. It's not like a blanket program or anything like that, but you can find out more on that at coachwithtyler.com. Uh, so I'd love to do that. And I'd be more than happy to offer your listeners a free 45 minute discovery session with them. So where we can identify, you know, what's working for them, what's not working and sort of, you know, support them in building this empire. You know, I think we've all got a goal here and, and uh, I'd love to, uh, to be able to do that for your listener. Wow. That's a, that's awesome. How can they, get in touch with you about that is that through your website or, or yep. you know yeah just go to coachwithtyler.com and there's a quick little uh, a very very quick questionnaire there essentially to kind of help me understand a little bit more about your business and at that point we'll dive into essentially a coaching session where we learn more about well what is that and how can i support that and you know it will be a great experience towards you know what that actually looks like so yeah coachwithtyler.com is uh, the resource there and uh, also you can connect with me on Instagram at the Tyler Chesser uh, and the same with Twitter. Um, and so, yeah, I'd love to uh, love to meet you guys. And uh, it's been a pleasure to be here with you, Taylor. I really appreciate you having me.
Great. I really appreciate your time. I mean, this, these are all very valuable lessons, if not the most valuable lessons that people need to learn as they're getting started in real estate investing, or if they want to, they're already investing and they want to scale. It's so important. And I'm, I'm a convert. I didn't believe it until I made, I learned more about it, made the changes and then saw the, the change in my own results. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, and, and I definitely appreciate you bringing all the lessons to the table today. It's funny. Uh, and just one last comment on what you just said. It's hilarious because it does sound woo woo or it sounds kind of like easy and corny, but it is, it's an absolute transformation that is so amazing. And so it's something worthwhile. So I highly recommend that if you're, if maybe some of your listeners are not on that boat to just, but just think about it, just open your mind and see what the possibilities are and what's the worst that can happen, right? So I love that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it, it, it came about for me without getting too deep into this. I think the things that made the biggest difference for me and turning me into a believer, so to speak, is just the sheer number of highly successful people that I've met by being in these real estate investing rooms and worlds and everything who are adherents to this a system similar at least to these five things or you know, they've tackled their own limiting beliefs. They like Tony Robbins, they they follow him very closely. They they really adhere to these ideas. And if you accept the the proposition that success leaves clues that there's, if you can find the through line or a, through lines between things that these successful people are all doing in common or have in common or anything like that, then that might be a lesson for you. And, and that was the first little thing for me that brought me on board by meeting enough successful people and say, oh, maybe there's something to this. That's exactly it. I love the, I love the thought of success leaves clues. That's why I'm always trying to surround myself with people who are successful because there are you know consistent things breadcrumbs that you can pick up along the way and that is 100 percent right yeah it's yeah. it's definitely consistent along the board so i love that yeah never be the smartest guy in the room and never be the richest guy in the room either that's that richest guy in the room one is a big one too so uh absolutely yeah, yeah. awesome well thank you for joining us today once again to everybody out there thank you for tuning in I hope you learned a lot today uh, and I hope you take action on all of these things. If you're not already, if you are already good for you, keep going, keep listening to passive wealth strategies. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes. It's a big help. You know, someone that could use some more passive wealth in their lives. If they need to get over their limiting beliefs, if they need to scale their real estate, real estate portfolio, bring them into the fold, share the show with them and uh, let's grow their balance sheet as well. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you have a great day and a great week, and we'll talk to you on the next one.